You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tabletop and Gaming. I'm your host, Justin, and I am finally joined by both Jason and Dan. Alright, we're going to stop and we're going to redo that. Next time you're going to say Tabletop and Beyond. <laughs> what did I say? Like, That's twice I know I've been gone a while. That's twice you've said gone. this. Tabletop and Gaming. It's Tabletop and Beyond. Oh Come on, host. <laughs> okay, alright. We're totally keeping this, by all the right. way. We're totally keeping Let's <laughs> this just go. This is for the bloopers. Alright, here we go. Here we go. Alright. Yep. No, no, no. Just keep going. We started. No, I got I got an intro. <laughs> okay. I got an intro. Well, all right. I'm starting over. I'm starting over. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin, and I am finally joined by both hosts, Jason and Dan. Hey, everybody. Howdy. And we're glad Dan's here, too. Well, thank you. <laughs> Good to have you back, man. Yeah. Well, you know, re- real life gets in the way sometimes, that pesky real life crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was no little endeavor either, was it? Oh, no. You know, you just don't try to buy and sell a house during a global pandemic. That's all I have to say. Long story <laughs> short. Mm-hmm. But it all worked out in the end, and you were back with us, which is the most important thing, I think. Yeah. In my opinion. We're here. Here-ish. <laughs> yeah, certainly. So, with that in mind, Dan, uh, how was your Geek Week? Pretty good. Um, I am planning out my 200-plus square feet of dedicated tabletop gaming space slash my office. Um, And my wife was saying, hey, when your guys are down there, you want to move your desk over here and your bookshelves and your file cabinets over here so you have more room for when the guys come over and game. So mm-hmm. she already knows. Fully, fully invested. I'm probably not gonna, ha- probably not gonna have the same elbow room as as Jay, but um, it will be cozy. I've got an okay and- amount of room. Yeah, I got to figure out <laughs> how to fill it. You got some pretty, pretty nice space down there. But um, yeah, I'm I'm uh, a couple sheets of graph paper away from doing another SketchUp of my custom game table, and I'm gonna start working on that. I'm trying to decide if I want to wait for my father to someday remember he promised me all this cherry wood and walnut, um, or should I just build it out of pine? <laughs> just get it done or wait? And and so I'm I'm in one of those. Pine's cheap. Uh, I know, I know, but well, where is all of where is all that wood? It's in northern Pennsylvania, and so it's six hour drive. And he's going to come so, down and bring me tools okay. and wood, and it's just uh, whenever he feels like it. So, okay. I uh, nonetheless, we love him anyway for all that he is. But part of getting the new house is my other Geek Week thing is I have Dolby Atmos and Dolby Vision in my house 75 inches of liquidy, beautiful Dolby Vision screen. Mm. And a Dolby Atmos system that bounces sound all around the room, over the head. And man, it is geekalicious. Um, I was watching Thor epic. Ragnarok tonight. I was just wanting to say, you know, I want to fire up the system and see how good Thor Ragnarok looks. And oh my crap. And uh, an hour later, I'm like, oh, well, I'm getting a text from Justin to see if he wants to podcast. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> you just got lost in the world, my friend. That's it's, right. It's really great. So we've ordered uh, new couches with motorized recliners and the whole bit. It's going to be a, a fun little place to, to catch, some, catch some fun, uh, you know, catch some flicks, catch some movies. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Jason, how was your geek week? Not bad, man. So uh, for work, um, I actually got um, an H640P, which is a uh, battery-free pen tablet, uh, specifically for doing, like, digital whiteboard design. Okay. So, you know, it's okay using a mouse to draw, like, on whiteboards when you're having, like, you know, uh, telecoms and group chats and stuff is a little wonky, but if you get this digital pen tablet it just feels a lot more natural to kind of sketch together uh but uh i have also been using that tablet for recreational use (laughs) on my home computer um there's a there's a fun game that a lot of people buy these tablets for it's called uh oz it's actually spelled osu it's kind of like a uh think like dance dance revolution but with a pen on a tablet on their computer 
So you, you get these little circles, and you got to hit the circle at the right place on the tablet at the right time and kind of draw, move it around to follow the circle and stuff. It's a fun little game just to kind of get your mind off of things. But uh, I've also been uh, using it to get back into sketching. Which, uh, oh, okay. I do a little bit of, I've done a little bit of art stuff on the side here and there, so that's been fun for me. My kids love to play with it too. And you can get them cheap now. It used to be you couldn't get a digital pen tablet for, you know, and I don't mean like an iPad or I mean like, you know, an actual like drawing tablet that yeah. connects to the PC. It used to be you couldn't get those, you know, for under like $150. Now there's there's ones out there that go as cheap as 30 bucks and wow. is, you know, as expensive as, you know, 500 or something, but sure. the one I got's about 40 bucks. Um and uh, I'm really happy with the quality, so it's it's cool to see the tech, the tech price on this technology has come down. Uh, it really makes it affordable for people to just kind of want to give it a shot. And does it like detect pressure and stuff like that? So you can yeah, do like it, actual sketches and. That yeah, it has uh, about eight thousand eighty one ninety two different sensitivity levels, so you can you know you can push you can do a light push and you'll just get a very soft line, and then you can push really hard and get like a really thick marker style line and then of course you can adjust the sensitivity um uh bar for how how it goes from light to dark depending on how you press yeah so it's really nice um it's got a couple buttons on it too but uh so that was fun that's been a lot of fun um and then also finished my console table which was like my um we have an inch in our entryway we have a mirror and the current console table we have we've had for a really long time it's kind of a rickety thing and it's not quite as long as the mirror. And uh, so my wife's like, man, we really need to get something like that. And I was like, well, you know, I told you I was going to build this game table. Let me prove to you that I can actually build something. <laughs> and yeah, and so I built the console table, and she, she's been looking at it like, man, I can't believe we, we did this. And I was like, yep, I can do it. <laughs> so, so that's uh, part of my first, that was like my first gate for her to really see that, hey, I can build this game table and let me go for it. So got that done for her. That was nice. fun. You shared a picture with us the other day. It looked really good. Thanks. Yeah. It was a lot of fun cool. to do. Well, How about you, while, Justin? While you guys have been, you know, working on your houses, I've been, uh, my back's been hurting a little bit because I've been carrying the preparation for this GuildCon 2020. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> You're like, uh, yeah. yeah. Of okay. your own free will, I might add. <laughs> right. Uh, no, I mean, listen, uh, we're two weeks away, literally two weeks away. Oh, no, I guess we're three weeks away. We're three weeks away from our GuildCon 2020, and uh, I've been working on getting the registration stuff set up, the games kind of mapped out, who's GMing what, just so that we have a good plan moving forward. I wanted to give those people who are preparing games uh, enough time, obviously, to work through whatever they needed to. And when I say those people, I mean they need me. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be running, uh, let's see, I'm going to be running Death Watch 40K RPG that I've never run that system, but it is almost identical to Rogue Trader, so um, it shouldn't be too heavy of a lift. It's just with Space Marines. Um, I'm going to be running a Shadow of the Demon Lord module. Uh, I'm going to be... Uh, running a narrative war cry campaign. That's the one I'm really, really excited for. Um, because it's, you know, this tabletop skirmish game that Games Workshop has. And I've written a whole backstory about, like, why people are squaring off and, you know, the armies and stuff like that. So it's going to be, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, of course, to prepare for that board game, I've just been painting like crazy, too, trying to get all the war bands ready and. Also, the Dark Souls game ready and stuff like that. So yeah, you know, it, it, this is one of those things where like it can be as easy as hey, let's all take a couple mm-hmm. days in our schedule. And we're just going to get mm-hmm. get together and play a bunch of games. Yeah, it could um, be that easy. It could be that easy, <laughs> or you could make it complicated and complain about it. So <laughs> I'm not complaining. I'm just I'm not. <laughs> well, yeah, I saw okay. the T-shirt. I saw the T-shirt registration email come out. You know, yeah. you jumped the yeah. shark. T-shirt looks really good. <laughs> Justin put that together. I think it looks really good. Looks amazing. <laughs> it's not I too bad, shark. man. 25... I didn't jump the shark. Hey, question for you, Justin, on <laughs> Just that. kidding, so dude. What, what is kidding. the website we're using? <laughs> what, say, sorry, say that again? That's okay. What's the website that we're using? Uh, Custom Ink. Custom Ink, right? And it's one of those where you can do, like, a group shirt order. Yeah. 
uh, thing. So, and we said basically, you know, we got to have about ten people sign up, and if 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 we don't get at least ten people, then it's not worth it, and we'll just cancel the order, kind of yeah. A thing. Yeah, yeah, and it was just easier to do it as a group. You know what I mean? Like have everybody pay for their own thing. Because mm-hmm. um, I learned when I was running the rugby team in the area that I hate collecting other people's money for clothes orders. It's the worst job in the world, literally. So, um, yeah, I was like, let's just do this. And they gave the option that if you didn't hit your minimum, you could either make up the difference yourself or cancel the order. And I'm like, seems like a no-brainer. It's better than yeah. trying to take a survey of people who wanted to assure and then, like, chase them yeah. down for an order, right? Yeah, good so. way to simplify that part, too. Yeah. How so. many do you have so far? Five? Five, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. Let me know if you get to nine. It'll be that. Yeah, I'll push you over, the even end. though I probably am only gonna. I'm barely going to poke my head into the event. So yeah, it'll it's be, gonna fun. be fun. It's gonna be a lot of fun. We've got um, we've got a, a couple of people that we haven't normally gamed with that are coming, and that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the gaming. I'm also looking forward to you know like just you know grilling out and that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, I think we're, I think in Virginia done... we're in phase three right now. Yeah. So, you know, as long as things stay like that, then I think we'll be in a good spot. Uh, there, it'll be nice to see people again. I listened very carefully to the governor's message today. And he as said did Northern, I. He said, Northern Virginia, you're doing okay, but remain vigilant. Yeah. And they said, Virginia Beach, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, that was pretty much like my geek week. I meant to play some Xbox games, didn't get to it. Um, I meant to paint some more, but I'm just like, no, I need to sit down and finish writing this stuff, and uh, I'm in a good place. I'm really happy with it. Cool. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah, let's move on to some geek news. Uh, I think one of the big things that's coming out, and hopefully we get this episode out in time. I think we will. Um, It's 16 days from now, so uh, basically between now and the 30th of... uh, July mm-hmm. is registration for is open for Gen Con events, um, and we're not, of course we're not talking about the in person events, right? These are the online events that are being hosted uh, virtually. Um, and wh- how much did you say the badges were to get in again? Free. Okay. Free. So, um, but the whole thing's not free though. No, the tick, the event tickets are still what you would you would expect for Gen Con. So like a two hour event's like two bucks. Yeah, like four dollars for a mm-hmm. um, like an four RPG hour event, or... and yeah, an RPG. And then if it's like a hot commodity, sometimes those are like six to eight dollars, depending. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we were just looking at one event that was like eighty dollars, and I'm like, oh my gosh, for a six hour event? No, it turned out that it was uh, twenty four hours broken out over four days. Um, and it's still, I mean, that's like $4 an hour, essentially, right? Something mm-hmm. like that. I, I yeah. don't know. My math's not good. But anyway. Which, um, is, which is normal for Gen Con. Yeah. Well, $4 an hour is a little expensive. Usually like it's closer to bucks. one or two per hour yeah. in person. So I think yeah. they've got to make up their money somewhere. Well, and the thing is that we noticed is that this is the Adventure League preview book for next year. So you get a pre-test, essentially, the next D&D book that's coming out. So that's why you're paying the higher commodity for that. We did that one year, I think, Dan, when we were all together at Gen Con, right? That's when we were, uh, we yeah. had Jose, Jose and Jose B. Yes, yes, the brothers. absolutely. Yeah, that we <laughs> we have chased off many of uh, many random uh, dungeon masters with our ridiculousness. I will um, say that she that poor that poor uh, that poor GM. We put her through the ringer, but she took it with grace and poise. She was unlike lovely. I had ever seen. Yeah, she was good. <laughs> when, when you get, you know, we were a group of six or eight middle-aged men who know each other for many yeah. years, and in some cases were related. <laughs> And would yes. rather sit around and goof off and make jokes than take the story seriously. There's a lot of DMs that would have really felt uncomfortable in that moment. And in fact, she was she loved it. So You know, the funny thing is is she did the great thing. She let us riff. Totally. Like we knew how to advance the story in a sense, right? We knew when it was time to like 
all right, get a move on. I'm going to go look for this. You look for that. That kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, but she let us do the other things that were just out of control. I ended up, I was an elf sorcerer, right? And so I wanted a uh, robe with the sleeves cut off. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> we spent a lot of plot time with you doing uh, clothing. Her, this is like, a, what, a two-hour session we did? Yeah. Like a yeah. random... It was a 5e intro, right? 5e, yep. yeah, just a level one thing. It was before 5e was released, I think. No, uh, no, no, you're, no, you're mixed. That was oh, 2014. No, no, this was the new, yeah. this was the new, not 5e intro, the new uh, arc that was coming out. Yeah, the, the new jungle. Yep. Yeah. The jungle one, yep. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. You know, I'm so glad you guys had a good experience because Dan Flinton and I were at another table because our group was too big and they split our table. And man, our our GM was not flexible in the least. It's like any any attempt to deviate from the pre-gen thing she had in front of her, and she would just basically say, "No, you can't do that." <laughs> and anytime a GM tells me, "No, you can't do that," and then moves on, I'm like, "Oh my god." The old, the like? best thing about that is, you know, you're only in for it for like two hours. Yeah. You're yeah. Like, well, yeah. Yeah. well, I'll just know. get through this. Yeah, it's when you sign up for a six-hour, four-hour thing, and you know the guy's an idiot. We could, I've got a great story for another podcast of the worst GM ever to walk the earth. Is that the uh, one you walked the table from? Oh yeah, yeah. Walked away <laughs> from the table. And, uh, that Star was the Wars rage RPG. Qu- or no, Star this Trek is Star RPG? Trek. It was a rage quit moment. We'll save yeah, it no. for another day, but uh, oh, we'll maybe. save it for a moment where you're like, "What not to do as a player or a GM?" Episode. That would be cool. Uh, yeah, it's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. All right, so. If you're interested in doing some Gen Con online events, go get your stuff now because by the time you hear this podcast, it's probably a lot of things are sold out. But I have faith in you. Uh, let's see, what other news? Oh, this is uh, just to build on a little bit of our last Warhammer podcast. I'll be brief, though, since we took two hours for our last one. Um, so the Indominus box, right, which is the new ninth edition box. It's got Space Marines and Necrons in it, right? It's like a huge box. They're selling it for $200. Listen, when when it was originally announced, people were telling me it was going to be $300, right? So when they came out and said it's $200, people were like, I've got to get that box. I have to get that box. So it sold out literally in minutes from everywhere, from GW stores, from affiliate stores and everything. People were freaking out. People, Some people had bought like six copies and they were putting it up on ebay for double the price so like for four hundred dollars and they're like selling right and so gw they saw that uh these scalpers were like making money hand over fist so they made the announcement i think it was yesterday that um they would be doing made to order boxes for anyone who wanted it so you ordered it they would slap one together for you and ship it right to you which you know what what the crazy. shipping delay is? Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's crazy though that they would do that. That's great. Don't you think that? I mean, I that that's, was a that's bi- class. This is Games Workshop being classy. Are are we sure? Are we sure it's them? That's uh, it sucks for all those dudes who couldn't wait and actually spent four hundred bucks on a box. Yeah. So you mean, I, this would be me. I'd be like, you know, what I want this, but I'm doing it. I'm paying the five four hundred dollars, and then like an hour later, Games Workshop would reveal that, and I'd be like, yeah. Duh! There's there's a lot of there's a there's a bunch of upset people. So, a I this is a kind of a nuanced thing with me and in, in, in my opinion with Games Workshop. I think it's amazing thing actually that a store is going to be doing a made to order box, right? Because their whole thing is like we're gonna we're gonna make. 500,000 boxes of these models and then send them out to the stores and whatever and that'll just be the inventory until we make some more and you know do our thing but a made to order box from a big big company like that that's that's kind of interesting um they've done made to order individual characters they do that pretty regularly actually yeah they do they do but the demand for it is not nearly as high Mm. it's usually just for collectors and it's not a whole box I mean, there's so many models in this box, right? Yeah, you know, so. I, I'm not sure how heavy of a lift it is, though, because they already probably have the factory set yeah. up with the oh, injection absolutely. molds already on the machine. Yeah. And they may just they may just have said, you know, we did our first yeah. run, and we are we still had the uh, we still had the factory the fab houses set up to do another run, but we wanted to gauge the interest level first, and maybe they just changed their approach. Yeah, right. that's a good point. The, and, and does yeah, custom mean just different some additional models or some 
different sculpts of the same type of model? I mean, how deep does a custom box go? I think. Oh, it's not. It's not custom at all. It's just. It's the same box. It's, it's the just, same box. Yeah. It's just made to order. Oh, it's so just not, made to order. Oh. Yeah. So, so it's not. There's not going to be surplus ones in the store, which I. I that's kind of interesting too. At this least not with initially. Carrion, with the, uh, the Carrion Call box, the one with the flesh eater quartz and yeah. the, uh, the Skaven. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It sold out, and then the only way you could get it was people that were splitting the box and selling it on eBay forever. Right. It took like a year for them to sell the the individual characters in that box separately. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, G- so a, I think it's kind of cool that you can get a made to order, right? I think that's that's kind of awesome. Um, but they've been seriously criticized, and I think rightfully so, in the sense that they should have anticipated demand a lot better. Right, and they probably should have not waited to make an announcement for a made-to-order box because, I mean, the scalpers were running rampant, you know. Like, some friends of ours that I know well, they had sold it for, like, 250 a box already on eBay as a pre-order. So, Jeez. yeah. So, you know, the, the criticism there is that, come on, GW, like, you should have anticipated demand a little bit better than this, you know. And responded much sooner before the scalpers got out of hand. What? Let me pause on that for a second. Though. Like, yeah. why? Why would GW be to blame for that? I mean, it—they're allowed to make the number of boxes that they want. It's true. And allow pre-orders for those boxes. So, so yeah. So, oh, here's here's the other wrinkle to this, and and this might flavor okay. your opinion a little bit. So they said pre-orders are open, open to everybody, right? And so I'll give you an example. Huzzah, our local game store, they got something like 80 pre-orders for it. Okay? Just at that store. Well, GW came back and said, ha, 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 just kidding. Each of the stores gets 45 copies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not 80. Even though we told you open pre-orders and we didn't tell you how many you would get, you gave us 80, we're telling you you're getting 45. And that was across the, across the globe. Every game store was only getting 45 copies. Yeah. And so people started panicking, right? And they started buying stuff on eBay. And then literally a day later, they said, oh, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll actually honor those. We'll honor those boxes that you told us. And then a day after that, then they made the announcement that you could get a made-to-order box as well. Yeah, so it sounds like there's just some rough, rough rollout there. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, so... A little bit of drama around it. I all I know is I got my box and I'm probably going to be picking it up this weekend, so I'm going to be happy with that. So yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, cool minis or not made an announcement that Massive Darkness Two is coming out, so they're going to be launching their Kickstarter for that, I believe. There's um, a good Massive Darkness um, mod on uh, Tabletop Simulator. There is. We messed around with it. Remember? Yeah, I think I. We messed around with it, and you went to bed, and I think I got sucked in and played a solo game. (laughs) (laughs) Went to bed like two hours later. Yeah, right? So for those of you who are not familiar with Massive Darkness, it's um, very much like Descent. Um, Or what is that? Star Wars? Not Star Wars Legion. What's the Star Wars Imperial Assault? A lot of those. Um, Yeah, uh, Castle Ravenloft. Yeah. Well, except that one, I think the tiles are more randomly pulled. This one is that the tiles are set up for the mission. Right. But you pull, you know, you move into a room, you pull monsters out of a, out of a bag, and you kind of get a little bit of a random flavor for yeah. every time you play the mission. It's a gloomhaven. Yeah. It's a rinse yeah. and repeat uh, With thing that works gaming. well when you're on the table with yeah. friends. Yeah, exactly. So it's a lot of fun. I, I'm not surprised that they're doing Massive Darkness Tool. The, the minis in that are pretty awesome. All cool mini or not, you know, minis are, yeah. are pretty awesome. Yeah, really good. So, um, wouldn't be surprised if that Kickstarter hits in the next month or two. So, be aware. It's funny um, that you guys you guys played um, Call to Adventure, and I couldn't oh, make yes. it that mm-hmm. night. And I threw it on my Amazon wish list, it, my, and my family got it for me for Father's Day. Oh, oh awesome. nice. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I didn't even play this, but the guy said it was all right. And then I... I did a couple solos and I was like, "Yeah, this one's pretty good. It's pretty it's good." It's pretty fun with the yeah. using little rune dice, you know. Yeah, those little set of dice. Those little fifty-fifty runes. Yeah, those little yeah. Uh, D twos. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's kind of fun. 
And uh, our friend uh, Casey, who's in our gaming group, um, he got recently the Stormlight Archive or the like the Way of Kings from Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, the expansion. His well, yeah, it's the skin for that game essentially. Mm-hmm. So you can play like the Stormlight Archives uh, version of that game, which I think would be a lot of fun if you're a fan of the novels. Nice. I like that game because if you, it's it's a very it's a storytelling game, and it's like the 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 competition is who can get to their full story arc the fastest. Right. Yeah. Based on um, a a Campbell, a Joseph mm-hmm. Campbell type, uh, yep. you know, uh, framework. Um, mm-hmm. It was good. It's good. I can't wait to get it out again. It was good. Yeah. Uh, let's see. My last one that I have is that Monty Cook put out a D&D 5E conversion for um, his Numenera setting. Yeah, and he hinted at that. He, like, slipped in a 5E version of Numenera, like, one page into something he sent out. Uh-huh. And tipped everybody off and tried to get all of his fans all at Twitter and excited about it. So this is long and coming, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, is... Um, their Humble Bundle was doing a big deal, massive deal on the black box that he'd put out, which was like, you know, tons of supplements, maps, tokens, all this stuff. But granted, Humble Bundle, it was all digital, right? But you could, it, the, it retailed for like $200 or $250 or something like that. And you could get it for $25 on the Humble Bundle, um, all digital, which was great. That was a good deal and everything. But... As Jason and our friend John and I were talking about, we did not have a very good experience with the Cypher system and Numenera at Gen Con, actually. Um, we kind of struggled with it. It was a lot of weird math, and I just I think we, because we were playing it on Thursday night, it was a little too much math for us at that point. I don't know. <laughs> I can't find anybody who wants to put the Cypher system on the table and get everybody excited about it. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that he's reskinned it around 5e and i mean monty cook and D go together quite a bit he worked on a mm-hmm. lot of the versions of D. they brought him in as a consultant on 5e to help clean it up and it what monty cook's reskinning of numenera for 5e felt a lot like what rob schwab did for just putting out 5e adventures and what yep. a lot of other folks are doing and porting their stuff into the system because when you have a system that doesn't suck and it's selling like wild cakes. Why not? Yeah. Um, it's it's hard to persuade people to to come to a new a new rule set. So, good for him. Um, it's great that 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 stuff is is going out there. And um, the guy who did the maps for the Monty Cook Numenera games, um, he's been a Facebook friend of mine for many years, and he did a lot of stuff for Wizards of the Coast for their Star Wars stuff back in the day. And uh, they, the, the maps and stuff, some of the graphics are just great on those Monty Cook games, and, and uh, he's got a lot of in, uh, influence on that. Nice. Nice. And, uh, Jason, if I remember right, you liked the Numenera setting, right? This, I love the concept behind the setting. Um, yeah. I'm with you. The system, the system was rough to play in, but the setting is, is right up my alley uh, in terms of something that, you know, it's very interesting. It has a mix of, um, you know, uh, centuries and or millennia actually millennia past civilization is like what I think the setting is that like seven civilizations have risen and fallen nine nine on this nine nine yeah, yeah nine. have risen and fallen on the in this on this planet so you've got all this all this tech from different civilizations that can be seen as like magical artifacts and they're only seen as magical because you know the your generation doesn't understand the technology behind them yeah and so it's a really cool setting. Um, I just the system was brutal. I, I had, and you know even even thinking about maybe it was late in Gen Con or whatever. And, <laughs> I'm but trying to just, be nice. <laughs> it's not, man. I mean, we sit there and you think and, and just going through the exercise of trying to figure out how do you determine what it is your challenge is that you have to roll. Yeah. The fact that you can't just say. You can't just roll the dice. You got to do a math problem every time before you roll the dice to determine if if you're going to succeed or not. Now, I will say one thing that's interesting about this the the system is it's a system designed so that the DM never rolls the dice. Only players roll the dice in the right. system, which is that's an interesting concept. Um, I think unfortunately, the a side effect of that is determining the challenge rating 
uh, and I know that's I'm mixing terms from systems there, but the concept there, determining challenge rating requires requires some undue math that slows slows combat down when it's yeah. getting late at night and you got you know a bunch of Pepsi's in you and kind of stuff like that. The game well, the game also- is supposed to be fun. I mean, yeah. there should be an element of fun. And sometimes we worry too much about the simulation aspect of these games yes. versus mm-hmm. the fun aspect. Yep. Yep. And if you if you're if you're simulating at the expense, or you've come up with a new unique mechanic, which you think is great, people are writing RPG systems every day, and some of them are horrible, and some of them are probably yeah. amazing. But if if the mechanic is getting in the way of the story and the fun, and players wanting to go buy a book, then then you got to start over. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what I find interesting about that system is it was a system meant to debuff, right? Like, that was the whole point of doing the math problem was to figure out if you should debuff this creature that you're facing off against so that you don't have to roll so high, you know? And um, so, whereas, you know, most other RPGs is trying to overcome or beat, you know, something on its own. Um, so I, I think it's an interesting concept. I just don't think that it just worked out well in practice, but that's just me. You know, something interesting, I don't know if you knew this or not, Justin, you probably did, but um, the Monty Cook also wrote uh, a Shadow of the Demon Lord adventure. We played it. We the played Star's it. Refuge, yep. You guys played yeah. that one. Yeah, I we remember did. the episode about that. And it was a, gr- it was a good one. Um, that's the one that our buddy Dan Flitton died in. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody, somebody's supposed to die in every session. <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> Pretty close, too. Yep. Before yeah. we get off of Numenera, I wanted to plug uh, mapsofmastery.com by Christopher West. He's a super guy. Mapsofmastery.com. He makes really great poster maps. He'll even print them out in, you know, you know, five feet by ten feet on vinyl if that's what you what you want to pay for and he also has all of his stuff available in pdf for everybody who wants to run an lcd screen upside on laying down on its back as your map those are all available grids and no grids lots of different universal you know sci-fi and and um, fantasy um jay played in the uh, star wars campaign that i ran for a couple years in about 50% 50% of every map I put down on the table was a Chris West map. Of yeah, they were great. Mastery. Oh, that's fantastic. A lot of fun. I'll have to go check it out. Yeah. And and he's a super guy, too. Every I used to only see him when I went to Gen Con, except for Facebook. And so, poor, yet another yet another casualty of a canceled Gen Con. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, indeed. All right, well, let's get to our main topic tonight. Um, we are talking about... Uh, Shadowrun versus Android, which I think that we've got some experts on the show about this. I myself am not an expert. I have actually never played Shadowrun in its full form. I've played Android twice. Well, we should ask you to mute your mic then. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) I have little to contribute to this conversation. I may ask a pertinent question every now and then. How's that? We'd like you to complete the t-shirt order for the con. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, so, Dan, why don't you take us through, what, why don't you explain to us uh, about Shadowrun? Now, just a little bit of a preface. Last week, I plugged Shadowrun 5e is on Bundle of Holding right now, so you can get it for super cheap on Humble Bundle for the next couple days. Um, and uh, it was there, and it kind of came up, and I said, I don't know much about it, but if you're interested in it, Go check it out. So maybe you can talk a little bit about Shadowrun hey, 5 Jay, why don't you do Shadowrun? Because you actually have a, a hardbound book in your hand, if I'm not mistaken. I do, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I can jump into that. So Shadow, obviously Shadowrun is, uh, has been through a few editions. Um, I think the first, if just cheating here, pulling it up online, the first edition was in 1989. Um, it's a strictly a D6-based system, so not your D20 style that you're used to. You and the game's all about kind of as you build up your stats, It's your stats are kind of telling you how many D6 to roll when you're trying to do things. So you can get a bunch of D6 in your hand and roll and kind of try to achieve things. But the setting, it's a cyber cyberpunk slash magic setting. Um, if you've ever uh, read, uh, I think it's William Gibson's Neuromancer, a very famous um, book 
gosh, I'm not going to get the date right on that. It's an old book, but, um, and the book is about a, a future where, you know, it, we're super advanced in technology, but we've kind of also gone into kind of a corrupt a corrupt path. Humanity's kind of come into a corrupt path. So the super the super tech has not really done things like get us off the planet and really get us into into the outer reaches of space. It's more just kind of souped us up for, you know, souping up our syst- our ourselves in terms of uh, modifications, cybernetics. Um, there's a lot of drugs. Think like Blade Runner, downtown kind of, you know, dark settings where the tech has maybe taken humanity down a wrong path. And so there's, it was, uh, just, just to jump in real quick, it was written in 1984. 1984, yeah. Wonderful book. But what's interesting is if you read that book, if you've ever played a Shadowrun game of any kind, and you go back and you read Neuromancer by Wim Gibson, you will hear all of the terms that come from Shadowrun. All of the terms are from that book. That This system was based off of that book. It, I mean, it had to be, just based on the years. When the did Shadowrun first come out? 89, 1989. Okay. I played the first edition. It yeah. was awesome. Yeah. So really cool setting. Um, and the other big thing about it, that it, it, there is, you know, there is a, um, there's a matrix, concept of a matrix where there's a virtual reality world that people live and work Before inside of Before the movie well. Matrix, we were in the Matrix in Shadowrun. Right. So they and were AR not too. ripping off Keanu Reeves. <laughs> and AR. So there's AR and VR in this system. And... Uh, elves and and uh, well, not orcs and trolls and dwarves. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they're dwarves. Yeah, there are dwarves. Yes, there are. Oh, there are. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Yeah, so it's this weird thing where like a time period happened in the world where like technology was getting big, and then some rift happened that reopened like the magical side of things. And so there's tech, there's magic, there's virtual reality, all kind of mashed together into like a corrupted humanity living on the planet kind of a setting really a cool science fantasy setting uh there so i love the setting i love these kinds of settings blade runner is like you know i'm a huge fan of that yeah um the mechanics of the new system and to be fair dan you might have more input on the older system i've only played the more recent systems by catalyst games uh that they've put out there so I have some opinions on that, but I don't know. Do, do you remember much about the older, uh, the yes, older systems? Yes, the, the, the old one was really, really accessible. I mean, we played it in high school, and it didn't feel any more complex than than uh, AD&D, than what we were. We were also playing AD&D back when, mm-hmm. yeah. before we were, you know, third, three, three O and 3.5 and stuff like that. So it was uh, straight up fun in the first edition, but a lot of those RPGs of that era, for whatever reason, um, don't translate as well into certain audiences that are used to certain kinds of mechanical things in their RPG. They're looking for different levels of crunch. And some of the writers through the different editions have tried to harmonize all these various different concepts because you have magic, there's a magical plane, and then you have the uh, the deckers who are decking into the matrix and they're on their plane and then you have guys in the streets being street samurais there's a lot of stuff happening yeah. on multiple planes simultaneously and every game that jumps in that tries to accomplish this has to struggle with with how can you make the story narrative how can you make this a good game even though all these things are happening simultaneously in different versions. And all versions of Shadowrun, in my opinion, are great because they're Shadowrun. And the IP is fantastic. And they've been putting right. out novels for all these years and video games on console and on PC. So Shadowrun really stand on, stands on its own. And it was a really... It was one of the first ones that really wanted to mash things up and really kind of stretched everybody's brains on what an RPG could be outside of a classical thing from a movie property or D&D. This was something that was just as um, it was compelling. The narrative was compelling and you wanted to get into the universe without having, you know, something else propping up the IP. And so it became its own kind of unique and great IP. It spun, they spun off 
the Earth Dawn fantasy game off of it, which has gone through multiple editions. And so it's just good stuff. There's different versions of the game that have had more more or less rules and different kinds of GMs who want to learn all that stuff and run the stuff. And so there's a version of every RPG that that feels rules heavy for anybody. And some for some mm. other people, it's just right. You know, it's too hot, too cold, just right. And everybody's somewhere on the spectrum. So... I mean, if you have a really good GM, um, you know, three or four hours of Shadowrun can be just amazing. If, Absolutely. If, you, if you're spending a lot of time counting bullets, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? or if the GM is not comfortable with the system, just like any game, and they spend too much time in the book trying to figure out the exact right rule for the exact right situation, it drags anything. So a lot of the criticisms that get leveled against all the different versions of Shadowrun are criticisms that can go against just about any RPG. Yeah, um, I've played Shadowrun with a few different uh, GMs over the years. At Gen Con, I played with one that was a very seasoned guy. I mean, like he was, he he was a, he was uh, working the Catalyst room at the time, and he had all the gear on. Like he looked like he he was dressed for the occasion, right? Uh, dreads and every and all. It was a and that was a fun. That was a really fun um, uh, uh, run because I'll just say run. Because, you know, it was a perfect setting in Shadowrun. It was, we were a bunch of dudes just trying to make some money. We got together. We did a heist. We planned a heist. Uh, we executed the heist. Um, we saved uh, saved a portion of the city unintentionally at the same time. Um, got some stuff in it for us. There was drugs. There was, <laughs> it was the whole setting that was there. And he ran it so well, even with the Deckards. And that's been one of the big complaints of the Shadowrun system is that because there is this, there are these other planes, the magical plane just kind of plays well, just like with everything else. But the the virtual reality uh, plane uh, that the Deckards can kind of hack into, that the problem there is because no one else on the table but the Deckard is playing that, is it almost becomes a mini game that is just between that player and the DM or the GM at the time, and I've seen I've seen um, I've seen this turn into a bad thing, to where some GMs will say we're going to play Shadowrun, but nobody plays the Deckard. I'm the DM, and I'm going to run the Deckard character. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry. Uh, pick up a gun. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That nice. That that's a thing. That that's a real thing. Uh, yeah. But. You know, and and I could like there's in some Star Wars campaign somebody's like everybody's a Jedi because we're we're just not going to have because the story's always about the Jedi so everybody has to be a Jedi. Mm-hmm. You know, you could say everybody has to be a Decker, uh, or 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 nobody or, no or something like that. Yeah. And that's kind of a blunt way to solve a problem, um, to be quite honest, because yeah. the. The, all of the decking systems for all of the ver- all of the additions all have some good some strong merits to their because to, people still play every stinking edition of this game. I mean, we're in the sixth edition in 2019, so you can't talk about you know somebody listening to this is going to be like, hey, fourth edition that was the one you know you guys, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. and I loved it. And it's going to be you know somebody's going to fall in love with one of these editions. So. But but to, I can see why, for different storytelling purposes, you might want to to narrow how things are how things are going, just because it can drag down. But but that's that problem is not unique to Shadowrun. It's just accentuated in Shadowrun. Yeah. Like for instance, it can be. Yeah. In some RPGs, the problem of who's the captain of the ship is a problem that you see all over RPGs, but it's a problem <laughs> in Star Trek where you're like, I'm the captain, but I'm still wink, wink. You're all equals, wink, wink. So the, every kind of RPG has its own own little niggly gnat that you have to deal with. And that's yeah. that's one of them. Um, yeah, that's one. I will say something that was interesting about the fifth, and I'm just, my experience is just with fifth edition. I haven't played sixth yet, but one, one thing that was interesting about uh, fifth edition was the mechanic behind... Um, <clears throat> initiative score uh and that the way that that worked is you know you took your kind of initiative rating and you rolled dice at when combat started just like everybody like you used to when you get initiative score but then everybody puts their initiative score down um and then you run through it like you normally would however when you get through the end of uh when you get through the end of the combat phase 
the DM subtracts a value from the everybody's initiative score. And you keep taking turns until your initiative score hits zero. Uh, but if you have somebody that has a really high initiative score, they're going to continue to be able to take turns and take turns and take turns until their score finally reaches zero. And then the whole thing starts all over again. Right. So right. it was an interesting thought. It was an interesting take on the mechanic of what if somebody is actually, how do you portray a character that like is just really, you know, uh, initiative I don't Based, know how to yeah, say that. Yeah. Yeah. But can actually like be very active in a combat round and do a lot more than other people would. So it's an interesting take um, on it. And that's the thing that that's what makes mechanics interesting um, to try out. Uh, <clears throat> there were other parts of the system that were clunky and that felt kind of slowed things down. But um, like you said, Dan, a good DM that re- that can recognize, hey, when it, when it's starting to slow down at the table let's move past it let's you know let's let's hand wave things let's just roll the dice and, and move on because uh, it's all about having fun um, at the table yeah and, and and it's it's there's something so cool and so approachable about Shadowrun because somebody most ge- geeks have bumped up against it if they've never sat down and played the RPG either you've 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 played one of the video games or you you pulled a novel off the shelf and you're like whoa what's this about? Um, and so as far as an IP, it's, it's pretty accessible and the rules of the universe are not, you're not in the Dune universe where everything is so kind of tightly constricted. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. there, there was no magic. Now there is magic. Boom. Let's go. Let's do this. Which means, you know, everybody woke up one day and you know, maybe woke up a, a troll. So what, who cares? Let's, let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, and at the same time, the, the lore is great. The lore is really deep. And, um, so you could find yourself, you know, jumping into the deep end of Shadowrun and and not hitting the bottom of the pool if you really wanted to get into the lore, which is one of the, which is one of the beauties of, of the property. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then contrast that with the Android system, right? Which is, um, yes. So tell us a little bit about Android. So Android, um, okay, so Android Netrunner was a FFG game. It came because they bought the old Netrunner CCG that was designed by Richard Garfield, who designed Magic the Gathering and Keyforge and a lot of other really great games. Um, Vampire the Eternal Struggle, all, the, all these really great games Richard Garfield helped design. Um, and so they bought it, and instead of making it a, um, a cl- collectible card game, they made it a living card game where everybody knew exactly what cards you were going to get. And um, you, there's a whole separate conversation about living card games. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and so when uh, FFG bought it, they created the Android IP, but they had the Netrunner game. And those were two... Th- that those were peanut butter and chocolate in a wonderful Reese's peanut butter cup for many many years when the Android Netrunner was like the flagship of of the the cyberpunk offerings that FFG had but they kept their IP separate so when FFG came out with their Genesis book um, for it for the generic role playing system of Genesis the first book they put out sorry the second book they put out was Shadows of the Beanstalk which was about Android and about playing in hard sci-fi. So there's no magic, there's no, um, you know, very limited even kind of uh, psychic powers. There's only one or two characters in the whole universe that, you know, have psychic powers, right? Hey, Dan. Yes, sir. Quick question. So the funny thing is when we played this game with you in Shadows of the Beanstalk, I seriously thought it was a fantasy game because I'm like, Where's the beanstalk, right? Can you explain why? <laughs> oh, yeah, the beanstalk. You're laughing, right? But yeah, yeah, can yeah. you explain why it's called Shadows the of the Beanstalk? So in the in the Android, not Netrunner, in the Android universe, the beanstalk is the space elevator. So one of the technologies that has propelled us into the future is the space elevator, and it's called the beanstalk because um, it's on the equator, it's in Ecuador, and you can see it from very far away, and that's... 
Um, and the big corporations own it, like Wayland Corporation owns it, and 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 stuff is moving up and down oh, the space Wayland. elevator. Wayland, oh yeah, there's Wayland in, in Android. I don't know how they they squoze in Wayland, but there's plenty of Wayland. So, uh, Android, the universe has the corporations. Of course, it has um, synthetic humans as well as robotic Android humans, and it also has. Can we please call them skin jobs? Skin jobs. It's got skin jobs. <laughs> it's got skin jobs. They don't call it skin jobs, but you can. So the great thing about um, the Shadows of the Beanstalk game is if you buy the Genesis Core book and then you buy the Shadows of the Beanstalk book, you're only really two books in, and there's a lot to, to really work with. Uh, it's a really great game. We just I just played an every three-week, every two- to three-week campaign that went for over a year. And we didn't even buy the... Uh, there's a third book that FFG put out that's only lore, and it's called The Worlds of Android. So if you're more interested in what's what's around the beanstalk, if you want to know what's going on in other places in the solar system, other places on the Earth, and other corporations, and what, what the other cities are doing besides New Angeles, which is where the beanstalk is, it's, it's a really great book. It's full color. It's gorgeous. And um, there's a lot. There's a lot there. So there's a lot of these things that, uh, you know, there's there are things in common. It's the dark future. Um, cyberspace is really important. The differences are lack of magic. The other thing about Shadows of the Beanstalk is, is it is it it's also attempts to be a generic hard sci-fi game. So let's say you didn't want to play in the Android universe. You wanted to Blade Runner or other hard sci-fi stuff like um, Total Recall or... Um, you know, the expanse is really great. If you wanted to set, if you wanted to do an expanse RPG, you could get the shadows of the beanstalk book and the Genesis book, and you'd be off to the races. You'd be in really good shape. Um, there's a lot there instead of waiting for an RPG to come out when it never comes out. Um, we were really interested in Shadowrun. I've loved Shadowrun, obviously, since the nineties when I was first exposed to it. I didn't want to buy an extra, um, a new RPG, so all the haters can throw shade at me for not wanting to buy any of the Shadowrun RPGs. But I took the realms, the realms of Terranoth book from Genesis, and the Android book, and we mashed it up. We did a mashup and did Shadowrun Light. So I basically took a Shadowrun adventure and I ran it in the Genesis system using Terranoth and Shadows of the Beanstalk together and kind of a homebrew of a homebrew of a homebrew. And that was very comfortable for me because I really liked those mechanics. Uh, you may be interested in other mechanics that work better for you, but for me that was a lot of fun and we did it. We did a one shot uh, that was great and I um, uh, got some inspiration from uh, some free um, uh, Shadowrun modules that were online, and I borrowed their plot and did some stat block ad adjustments, and we, we we just had a great one-shot night doing Shadowrun, but using the Genesis system by mashing up those things together. One of the things that is an interesting um, share, interestingly shared between the two things, Shadowrun and Android, is that they both have this you're so far into the future that the world is kind of run by these megacorps, right? Shadowrun yes. is a very, you know, they're like, uh, there's some, there's a handful of megacorps that have really kind of come up and just gobbled up all the other companies. And, and they even have more power than the actual governments. The governments are like subservient to the megacorps. Is that the same concept in Android? Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the the governments like uh, United States has taken over part of Ecuador, but the country <laughs> Ecuador is still a country and they don't own territory they used to have stuff like that. So they they play a different kind of role, I think. Um, in in Shadowrun, most of the governments fell when magic came back into the world, and um, mm -hmm. there's a lot more lawlessness and chaos. Android is a little more organized. The news media okay. is is has a bigger role. It feels more like a civilization and less like um, you know the survival of the fittest. I'm, yeah. I'm over generalizing, but I think if you delved into both, um, you, you would. I, I think you'd come to the same conclusion. Yeah. So so let me ask you this, Dan. Um, having played both and you know knowing both. Um, I'm going to make probably a very gross comparison, um, but 
would you say that um, Shadowrun, with kind of how complicated it could be in some of the later editions, versus playing it in playing Android, I know it, you know it's not a one for one, but playing Android in Genesis is kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the Monty Cook game, which is Numenera with a complicated system, but playing it in a reskin Five E. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, so that and wasn't as bad a comparison as I thought. <laughs> no, it, it's it's a really great comparison. Um, and, and frankly, if you're running a story and your brain is working along the way one mechanic works, if your brain likes a mechanic and your players enjoy it and your players enjoy leveling up and it's a meaningful system that feel, their characters play like the characters they envision, it doesn't matter what the system is. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I, I like I, I like the system I like and I've thrown a lot of money into it. So when I want to roll run an RPG instead of learning something new, I like to leverage what I got. You're the only guy I know that has literally a box full of uh, narrative dice. <laughs> I have two boxes now because <laughs> <laughs> I got one box for Genesis and one box for uh, Star Wars. Yeah, this is true. Let me this ask the the the, um, the Shadow of the Beanstalk is that <clears throat> that's just. Is that just like a an arc slash setting, um, story setting inside yes. the Android? Or, okay, yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It's a setting. So if you buy the Genesis Core book, it tells you how to set up multiple settings. Right. And there's even in the Core book, there's even you know eight pages about how to do Android. Uh, they use that as an example of setting up a hard sci-fi universe. And then they right. came out with you know a 250-page book. Um, that is not all straight game stuff. There's plenty of game stuff. We played the heck out of that. Um, but there's a lot of lore in there too. Um, and to, to help give you, give the players and, and the GMs a feel for how the universe looks and feels and works. So Shadow of the Beanstalk is like the Forgotten Realms in D&D. In yeah. A sense. Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. And um, it's great. We ran it. Um, you know, we put together a revolution, and it was just fun. We went from you know hooligans um, running jobs into hacking into major corporations and emptying out banks and having you know the corporations come after us and using a revolution to uh, to slow them down. It was fun. It was fun. One of the things about the different universes is is all of these universes are a little broken. All these dark futures are a little broken in some way. There's like some kind of injustice or there's something there's something that it's not a universe where you it's not a nirvana universe. There's something broken. And so there's different types of stories that lend themselves to the players running up against that that problem. And you'd mentioned the corporations is a big deal. And in Shadowrun, it's about how magic is changing everything, and and how and how people who are strong in magic accumulate other types of power, financial power, uh, political power, and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, so the stories that kind of use those tropes of what's wrong with the universe as a springboard into creating drama are is great because otherwise, if you're just a conster, you know, a con artist or somebody with a gun running jobs. It, it doesn't matter what system you're in. It doesn't matter what the IP is. Uh, the IP is only as good as how it adds value to the story that the GM wants to tell. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good point because, uh, I mean, we talked a couple weeks ago, Jason, about, you know, certain settings sometimes lend well to storytelling. You know, like um, civ- uh, civilizations in transition. I think this was um, in relation to the Last Kingdom, right? How mm-hmm. changing, changing politics, changing religions, changing cultures. You know, when those things clash, that provides a really interesting backdrop. And uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely when we played just that one shot of Android, you know, there was that sort of darkness, the noir, if you will. Um, that was, you know, kind of behind it, which is, you know, I think at the root of a root of those both um, Android and uh, Shadowrun um, is that justice isn't there really, right? Like, an impartial judge and jury isn't there. Like, it's it's you've got you've got um, other things that are competing priorities, and you know your safety and security is secured by the government or whatever is just not not as relevant 
Yeah. Yeah, and I think what makes playing games fun is when you know you have a setting that has uh, that either does not have any justice or it has flawed justice in it, right. and then you that when a DM allows the characters to role play flawed characters um, that also you know in terms of their morals and and their justice. For example, you know, when if if you're in one sitting and and the um, the 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 players do a, an adventure and they come back to collect their reward and the uh, the person that was going to give them a reward decides not to give it to them because some event happened outside of the player's control. The DM needs to be understanding when the players then are not going to be as equitable and 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 show the same amount of mercy and justice to the NPCs in the world around them as well. Right. And I think it makes it very interesting. When you realize, and my dad always taught, would always say this to me when I was a little kid, I'd whine when I didn't get stuff I wanted, whatever, right? He'd say, I'd say, it's not fair. And he'd say, Jason, life's not fair and it never will be. <laughs> right? And I tell my kids that all the time. I said, it's not fair. It never will be fair. And if you expect life to be fair, it's going to screw you over. That's yeah. a great point. That's a yeah. great point. So That's it's fun to play point. games where, you know, at the end of the day, the odds are not always in your favor a lot of times mm -hmm. they're stacked against you and some games you know they have mechanics that like dnd 5e is a big one where the players can do a lot mechanically to try to stack the odds in their favor yeah. but at the end of the day these games are based off of uh dice rolls and and such and that's just the just the way that it goes i will say one thing about the android if you find a gm that also played the ccg RGM played and he competed and he was really good and he knew he knew the, the he knew the personalities and he knew the mechanics of the the hacking and he knew how the universe felt and was designed to feel you're going to have a slightly better experience i'm not trying to scare anybody I away think we lost him again. um you know it's like um you're you're going to have a better experience with D&D &D, if everybody at the table has watched Lord of the Rings, even if they've never played D&D &D mm -hmm. anymore, right. you know, right? Mm -hmm. Or they've, even though they've never played it before. But, you know, RGM was a guy who really loved the card game and, and loved the universe. And um, it's, it's a rare bird that somebody who really loves competitive gar card games and can also want to GM and be great at it. He had never GM'd a campaign before. He was super nervous to do it. And this was the first time he, he did one because he... He was such a fan of the Android universe, and it just it just made everything feel a lot richer. So, um, in any of these games, if you really get into the lore, you're you're going to be better off. You're going to be better off um, with how compelling the activity is for your friends mm -hmm. to play the RPG than it than you would be just focusing on can, the mechanics. Yeah, because you can come up with the, the minute details off the cuff because you know it, right? It's like a part of you. Um, you know, so that when they're like, oh, well, like, you know, what's this person like? Where well, you generally have an idea of what's going on and you can, you know, talk about general attitudes. You can come up with a character really easily that fits well into that into that story because you've got that lore, you've got that background. Because mm -hmm. we, we can all play a great fantasy or sci-fi battle game, board game, tabletop game. And essentially, that's mechanics with with a small amount, with a minimal amount of story, mm -hmm. um, and that's what makes RPGs different: is the story and how the and, and and going deeper into the universe beyond just what's on the surface. Absolutely. So, if you guys had to go out today and buy a game, no, I know you've already bought it, but if you had to go out today and buy a game, would you buy Android uh, with the Genesis system, or would you buy Shadowrun? I would buy Android. Yeah. The Genesis system is... Uh, the narrative dice-based concept is just opens the door for much uh, more deeper storytelling, in my opinion. We've, we've tried to play lots of different editions of Shadowrun, and it's it can be a bit of a slog. I mean, there's very yeah. complex character sheets, and... Um, I basically had to have our GM, you know, we only ran two or three episodes online together. This was before COVID. It was roll 20. Yeah, we were on roll 20. He had to hold my hand through every aspect of character creation. 
and we played two or three nights and it it was in game time it was only about 45 minutes <laughs> so we put about 6 hours into 45 minutes and and I'm not yeah. trying to throw anybody under the bus but it was just a different it's a different experience and and um yeah. it's it's all about what you have an a- appetite for um so it's interesting you say that because uh, Garrett, who was on the on the show with me last week talking about Warhammer, um, again we brought up Shadowrun, right? And um, he told me that he loves getting into the minutia. He loves getting into, you know, tables upon tables and you know all the complicated mechanics. Like he really likes it. And one of the points that we brought up is that if you're gonna do that with a group, everybody has to know what they're getting into. And be okay yeah. with that, you know, because if if everybody's into it, if everybody wants to scour through the rule book and min max their thing, or you know, figure out how how the mechanics work for crafting a toothbrush or something like that, you know, I mean, if everybody's into it, then it's a ton of yes. fun. Ton of and fun. the GM has but to be cool like with with the toothbrush of, of death. The six group people, <laughs> um, it's it, it causes some weird dynamics. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. I apologize. No, it's all right. That was done. That's awesome. Yeah, that's it's true. So, dark dark futures are great. Um, you know, you, you got to be prepared for, uh, you know, greasy, you know, back alley fights. So either street samurais or somebody who's 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 packing heat, and the sword's going to come out in both games. So it's going to be great. Um, but you know, have fun with it. I think a lot of um, folks who've only played D&D and their group has only played D&D have a hard time getting into other genres and I think Shadowrun is like a gateway into lots of other great things. So if, you, mm-hmm. if you've got a group that's never ventured outside of, of D&D, pick up, pick up some kind of Shadowrun and, and you may... There's an abbreviated version of Shadowrun, I forget what it's called. Even the, the folks who made Shadowrun made a dumbed-down version of it that was more playable. I forget the name of it. That's right. yet another addition um, that we, we didn't even discuss. It's kind of tipping your hand and saying, we love the game, we love the complexity, and we're going to make a complex world, world for us to inhabit. Uh, so, yeah. but uh, it, it's still, it's all good stuff. And, and I, I would, if I could buy all of the first edition stuff mint or get great PDFs where I could do prints myself, I probably would. I probably would jump into the first edition Shadowrun, no problem, because I remember as a teenage kid picking it up and going, oh, okay, I get what's happening here. Could I do that with the, one of the later editions? Um, I tried. Um, and it, and, and that can be a barrier. And for other people, it's a barrier. It, it's either feature or bug. You pick. Yeah. Huh. Good. Good talk. Great. Thank you guys so much for lending your expertise on this. Uh, as you tell, can tell, I only added a few quick giants. We wanted in there, you in but, there, Justin. You know. I was just kidding. <laughs> no, listening to you guys talk about it, because again, I have minimal experience with this, so I'm glad that you guys were here to talk about it. It was the perfect episode to have you guys both back on the podcast so yeah thanks for coming and uh thank everybody for listening to us uh hit the like and subscribe and share buttons for everybody out there um the more we um can get the word out on these games the better thank you so yeah thank you everybody all right good night